hosts of Common Sense Investing have been helping their clients and listeners make sense of the markets for nearly three decades. Using a conservative, diversified, value-oriented approach to investing, they strive to make you a better educated, well-informed investor. And now here's your host, Eric Whiteman. Welcome to this edition of Common Sense Investing. I'm Eric Whiteman, partner here at the XML Financial Group. So glad you could join me today. I tell you what, let's dispense with the niceties and let's jump right in because a Oklahoma judge has just ruled against one of my core holdings, Johnson & Johnson, symbol J&J, in the opioid case that's been going on there. Judge Balkman awarded the state $572 million to help the state prepare abatement programs. Now, if you were an investor in Johnson & Johnson and you woke up and saw some of the headlines, you would have thought the world was about to end. But then you noticed the stock was up the day after. And that's because Oklahoma was asking for $17 billion. And most analysts had been guessing the award would come in between $1 and $2 billion. So a $572 million judgment seemed like a win for investor. Of course, Johnson & Johnson is going to appeal the verdict, and this could drag on for a while, and you have new, uh, new cases just getting started. But the bottom line, at least for the moment, is that Johnson & Johnson has $15 billion in cash on its books and probably has enough to cope with a bad outcome in future cases. People have been asking me, what kind of stocks do I want to own if a recession is coming? And I tell them the ones that take money to the bank every day, like Johnson & Johnson. If times get tough, people are going to keep taking their medication, at least I hope so. If they cut themselves, then hopefully they'll use a Band-Aid. Johnson & Johnson has a well-diversified business. They have the pharma side, as well as the medical devices and the consumer products. And they're paying you darn near a 3% dividend while you own it. And that's pretty darn good in a low-yield environment. And let's talk about what this environment is. The U.S. is now in its 11th year of an economic expansion without a downturn. Now we're at the point where we're seeing slowing global growth, rising trade tensions and a strong dollar, which has led to a falling demand for U.S. exports, which in turn has led to a decrease in manufacturing, falling business confidence, and a possible downturn in the economy, not to mention an inverted yield curve, which is worrying investors because an inverted yield curve has often, not always, but often, preceded a recession. And for those of you who aren't familiar with what an inverted yield curve means, it means longer-term rates are lower than short-term rates. Think of it in terms of CDs at your bank. You go down there and they're offering you a six-month CD paying more than a five-year CD. And you scratch your head and you say, well, that doesn't make any sense, right? You should be paid more for locking your money up for longer. The inversion or what's driving longer term rates down is more of a result of the fact that growth, uh, that the growth outlook has slowed and because of negative rates overseas. If you buy German bonds, well, you actually have to pay them. So 
you've had a bunch of money coming in from overseas buying our bonds, hence the lower yields. In other words, the yield curve is inverted partially due to something that doesn't normally happen. The bright spot has been the consumer. Even as things have slowed down, the consumer has been supported because of a strong labor market and rising wages. And that was evident last week when some of the major retailers announced strong earnings. To sum it up, uncertainty causes a slowdown in investment. If businesses aren't sure about the future, they pull back and that raises the risk of a recession. For now, we're relying on the consumer to offset weak manufacturing and business investment. Now, keep in mind, the consumer is about 70% of our economy. If you're going to buy stocks, buy the ones that take money to the bank every day. As I said before, I expect volatility to continue with the worries of a recession and trade out there. And I think that it's the large companies with healthy balance sheets and strong cash flows that tend to do better in times of uncertainty. Now, let's talk about some of the implications of lower interest rates, specifically as it pertains to your retirement uh, plan. I pound the table all the time about the importance of having a good, solid financial plan in place to act as your guide. If interest rates are going to stay low for the foreseeable future, and my guess is that they are, then you might want to revisit your plan and your asset allocation, the amount that you have in stocks and bonds and cash. If you need help, let me know. We'll put a plan together for you. Just call us at 301-770-5234 or email us at podcast at XMLFG. If you have a plan and you want us to look it over, well, we'll We'll do that too. Now, for the sake of our discussion, let's just say a portfolio is evenly divided between cash, stocks, and bonds. If your plan calls for your portfolio to generate returns of around, say, 5%, and rates stay around 1% or 2%, then two-thirds of your portfolio is acting as an anchor. And the one-third, the stocks, well, they got to do some seriously heavy lifting to make up for it. And I'm not sure that equity returns for the next 10 years are going to be all that great. Low rates are killers for savers. People used to assume that they'd get a decent enough return on their money or on the money that they had in the money market or a CD. And that's turning out not to be the case. If you have money, just an investment account that you're using for your longer term needs, and that money is in, say, a CD earning 2%, your purchasing power is diminishing. That's right. Your purchasing power is diminishing. You get poorer every day because that 2% you're getting in income is probably taxable. So you lose a chunk there. So you're probably earning less than 2%. Now, inflation is somewhere around 2%. And that all means that you buy less stuff, less goods and services every year. And most plans don't call for just staying even or preserving your purchasing power. If you're trying to just preserve your purchasing power, some folks have turned to tips or or the I-bonds, those inflation-adjusted bonds. If you're older, that may not work out so well either because one of your major expenses when you're retired or when you get older is your medical expense. 
And I'm not going too far out on a limb here to tell you that medical medical costs are probably going up a whole lot faster than inflation. My point is that most people probably need to make an adjust uh, an adjustment of some sort. That can be either we save a whole lot more, accept more risk by having more in equities, work longer or spend less or a combination of all the above. We have a couple of seminars that we're uh, going to be doing and we're going to be talking about this among other things. This time around, we're going to be in the uh, Ashburn and Reston, Virginia area. And if there are anything like last time than the, the ones we did back in late spring, they'll sell out pretty quickly. They're going to be in mid-October. And if you want to get an invite, just drop us an email and we'll make sure that you get invited. Now, just to be clear, we're, ta- uh, we're, we're not taking reservations just yet. We're getting everything squared away. But if you want to receive an invite, just let us know. We'll give priority to the podcast listeners and just email us at podcast, which is plural, podcast at XMLFG. I had a question on what I thought the Fed would do in its upcoming meeting in September. The market seems to be de- uh, debating whether they'll cut, uh, whether they'll cut or cut by twenty-five basis points, or even cut by fifty basis points. Let me answer it this way: easier financial conditions lead to stronger growth and higher inflation in the future, and the Fed has to ensure that financial conditions remain accommodative during the global slowdown that we're having. That means that the Fed's most important job is to ensure that investors perceive Fed policy as supportive for both equities and corporate credit. In other words, unless Chairman Powell wants to slow the economy, he has to bow down to the markets and deliver enough monetary easing to keep the broad financial conditions accommodative. The minutes from the July FOMC meeting released last week suggest to me that they understand this dynamic and will act as appropriate. Simply put, if the market expects another rate cut in September, the Fed would be wise to deliver it. Otherwise, broad financial conditions could tighten sharply, making it more difficult for economic growth to recover. And it's not always the case that the Fed should act to ensure that financial conditions remain accommodative. If inflation expectations were breaking out to the upside or market valuations were stretched, then the case could be made for the Fed to fight back against the market's easing expectations. But really, neither of those conditions are in place today. The Fed, in my opinion, should give the market what's it, what it wants or there'll be hell to pay. Hope that helped, uh, Jim. That's all we have time for today. Next week is a short week. Uh, short week. Monday being a holiday, uh, so we'll do a short uh, show next week and probably take off the week after. But until then, remember, it's just as important to protect your assets as it is to grow. This is Eric Whiteman. This is Common Sense Investing, and this is the end of the show. Okay, you've listened to the show. Now it's time for the really good stuff. So listen up. It's the disclosures. The things I talked about during the show, well, 
They're just my opinion and may or may not necessarily be those of the XML Financial Group. Don't construe this as personalized advice or a solicitation to buy or sell a security. No, no. You should consult your own financial advisor to see if it's appropriate for you. It's also not a substitute for tax or legal advice. I'd suggest you get someone who's qualified in these areas so you can get the advice you deserve. When you're talking about asset allocation, diversification, rebalancing, they don't guarantee better results and they don't eliminate the risk of losses. In investing, there are no guarantees. Just because you use these strategies doesn't mean you'll outperform someone or something who doesn't. XML Financial LLC is an independent registered investment advisor.